Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name's Joey Weaver. He's Mike McDaniel. Mike, first question. I thought Rivalry Week delivered pretty well in the ACC, at least in terms of entertainment value. Would you agree with that? 15 straight, baby. 15 straight. (laughs) Win somehow. Win ugly, Joey. Win ugly. Hey, 34 is more than 31, as they say. Um yeah, this was a uh, this was a somewhat eventful week in the ACC. There were nine games, and I would say that you know a lot of them were just not really all that close in a lot of ways. But there were a couple of these, Mike, that were really what I would call eventful. Yes. Let's start out with a game that you're referring to, and this was Friday afternoon. Your Virginia Tech Hokies thirty-four, Virginia thirty-one in overtime, Mike. <laughs> the streak is alive and well at fifteen years. I this game was wild as hell, and it is more apparent to me now than ever that Virginia Tech is so far in the heads of Virginia that they might never get out. I picked UVA, and I've never been more thrilled to be wrong in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, 15 straight. Virginia Tech has probably their worst team in close to 30 years. UVA has their best team in a decade. And UVA found a way to lose like mm-hmm. 12, 12 different times. Uh, the one moment that really irked me from just a general football fan watcher person, not even just a Hokies fan and alum, UVA has the ball with two and a half minutes to go. They have it third and about seven or eight. Virginia Tech is out of timeouts. Why doesn't UVA run the ball? Instead, they throw a fade, Joey. Mm-hmm. Throw a fade, trying to pick up a first down. It goes incomplete. The clock stops. Um, Virginia Tech gets the ball back, and they had 30 more seconds than they probably should have had. Not that it mattered, because Ryan Willis marches them right up the field. Stephen Peoples breaks a long run. Fumbles, by the way. Fumble luck is on God's team side. <laughs> um, yeah, my team side, by the way. Uh, Stephen Peoples fumbles it into the end zone. Hokies recover. They kick the extra point. It goes to overtime. Uh, Virginia Tech has three absolutely terrible play calls. Kick a long field goal. Go up 34-31. And then in true Virginia fashion, because they choked this game away like a bunch. But in true Virginia fashion, they fumble on a read option play that they've been running the entire game. Just complete miscommunication between Bryce Perkins and Jordan Ellis. Can't happen. UVA fumbles. Virginia Tech really just stripped the ball away from from Perkins, um, you know, trying to hand the ball off to Ellis, strip it away. They recover it. Virginia Tech wins. The players knew it before a lot of the people watching on TV or in the stands did because you see the players storming the field. Um, a lot of people watching the game didn't even realize that UVA had even fumbled. That was my was experience. Very weird. 
weird sequence at the end. But um, hey, it's 15 in a row for the Hokies, and they're going for bowl eligibility this Saturday at Marshall. I told you about this on the previous podcast. I don't know how I feel about the makeup game at this point. It feels kind of empty, like the job should have been done to get to bowl eligibility much earlier than this. Nevertheless, you're playing a Marshall team that scores a decent amount of points this Saturday at Lane Stadium. That'll be an interesting game, especially with the emotions and how much was put into this UVA game to win after a really trying season for Virginia Tech. But it's 15 straight. Hokies looking to extend the bowl streak. And all I can say is they're in the heads of the Cavaliers, Joey. They're really in their heads. Squarely. Yeah, this game was wild and... But it was also one of these where Virginia had so many opportunities to put this game away, and they just couldn't. Uh, Mike, I thought that there was a really telling sequence. So Virginia Tech goes into halftime up 14-0. Um, and, and there was a moment at the end of the first half that we'll get to later that needs to be discussed because it was one of the weirdest ends-of-half sequences I've seen in a while. But Virginia comes out of halftime – storming back, you know, they were moving the ball on offense, a couple of huge touchdown passes to Joe Reed. Um, some of that bad Hokies secondary tackling came into play. Um, and and through all of it, Virginia Tech still finds themselves up 24-21 after a uh, – or, or excuse me, 24-14 after a, a two-yard touchdown run by Deshaun McLeese to start the fourth quarter. From there, Virginia scores uh, – 17 straight points. They score a touchdown. They score another touchdown, take a 28-24 lead. Virginia Tech now backed up in their own territory, throws an interception on about like the 11-yard line or something like this. Virginia's got the ball at point-blank range. Um, They played it really conservatively. They got one yard on three plays, and they ended up kicking a field goal to make it a seven-point game. And that's that's a moment that a lot of people point at and say, this is why you play to win and not to not lose, because you had a chance to make that a two-possession game, and you didn't take it. Right. From there, as you mentioned, Mike, Virginia Tech marches the ball right down the field, five plays, 75 yards, capped off by the most absurd play that was just so perfect, of handed off up the middle to Stephen Peoples, about the five-yard line, he gets rocked. Ball squirts out, goes past about three Virginia defenders before a Hokie falls on it in the end zone for a touchdown to tie the game. I mean, damn. Uh, <laughs> there were just there were a lot of weird moments in this game um, where, again, Virginia had all sorts of opportunities to put this away, and they just couldn't do it. And this is one of those that there was repeated multiple times on the broadcast and everything that – if there was ever a time for Virginia to break this streak and get it done, this was it. This was the best Virginia team we might have seen in quite a while. This is arguably the worst Hokies team we've seen in, you said, 30 years. I mean, this was it, and they they could not get it done. Um, and, and that's that's kind of disappointing, and you, you wonder where that leaves Bronco Mendenhall moving forward with the fan base. It's it's interesting, too. It's um, I don't want to liken it to Jim Harbaugh at Michigan because the programs are in two completely different stratospheres right now, but mm-hmm. it's unable to get over the hump against your arch rival, having a really nice season all year long, then getting to the game that matters to Virginia fans and then losing the way that they lost. That's tough, right? At least they mm-hmm. were a lot closer in this game than Michigan was in theirs. But you look at the Harbaugh thing, got a great season going, and you know there was a lot 
of talk about Jim Harbaugh heading into this year and how, you know, was he on the hot seat because he can't beat his arch rival. Then all of a sudden Michigan loses the opener and the seat was real hot for Harbaugh, at least from the outside looking in. And then Michigan goes on a run where they win 10 straight games and they're 10 and one going into the game at the horseshoe and they get blown out of the stadium. You look at Virginia, they have a really nice year all year long. They get to their Super Bowl, right? It's it's the rivalry game. It's it's 14 years in a row that you've lost to Virginia Tech. It's to knock the Hokies out of ball eligibility, a 20-plus year streak, and you can't get it done. It's It's really interesting to see now what happens moving forward for Virginia, both on the recruiting trail and on the field, because Justin Fuente said it best in his post-game press conference. Look, it was heated before the game. Mendenhall and Fuente didn't meet at midfield like coaches do ordinarily. Mm-hmm. They didn't meet at midfield. Tensions were really high. And Fuente said after the game, if they wanted to beat us, this was the year. And UVA could not get it done. And you think mm-hmm. about it now, and Virginia is losing a ton of key pieces. They'll still have Bryce Perkins returning. They're losing a ton of key pieces off of their team from this year heading into next season. Virginia Tech, meanwhile... They already lost nine of their 11 starters off the defense from last year. They're really young. They're going to continue to improve on that side of the ball at the very least. And chances are the offense is just going to get better because they got a lot of young, a lot of nice young playmakers. You look at Trey Turner in this game, broke off, uh, caught an unbelievable touchdown pass, ended up number one on SportsCenter, had a one-handed grab uh, in the first half. Unbelievable catch, had over 60 yards receiving. He's really come on nicely, and he's only a true freshman. You look at the year Damon Hazleton's had at receiver for Tech. Second team all ACC. So the Hokies have some playmakers on offense. They just got to figure things out and get things moving in the right direction, primarily in the running game. But you know the defense is going to improve. You look at the other side, Virginia, and they're losing a lot of key guys off of this team that, you know, was seven and what was it, seven and three heading into this game against Virginia Tech. And they they couldn't get it done. I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting moving forward, that's for sure, in this rivalry, because I think this was the year that they had to get the thing done. Two other things I want to bring up, Mike. Number one, we talked after Georgia Tech beat Virginia last week about special teams and their impact on that game and kind of opening the door for Georgia Tech to win. Uh, Special teams still a problem for Virginia in this game. Uh, They gave up a punt return touchdown late in the first quarter, or uh, excuse me, late in the second quarter. Uh, And then they turn around, I say a punt return touchdown. They had a punt blocked and then run in for a touchdown uh, by the Hokies late in the second quarter. From there, they turn around, uh, they force a punt at one point by the Hokies, and they drop that punt, and that's part of another sequence that happened again late in the first half. So Virginia has multiple special teams miscues that contributed to another loss. That's just a data point. Just keep track of that. Um, One other thing I want to bring up, Mike, and something that we talked about a long time ago in the offseason that I think has kind of gotten forgot about, we haven't brought up in a while, Bronco Mendenhall has gone out of his way to make a huge deal out of this rivalry. He started plastering up the beat Virginia Tech stuff around the locker room and saying stuff in the preseason press conferences, beat Virginia Tech and like all this stuff. And what we talked about when we first brought this up, Mike, is are you sure that you want to build, you know, your whole team's psyche around winning a game that you haven't won in 14 years, now 15 like as much as that would have paid off if you win this game, now you've spent a whole year thinking about we've got to beat Virginia Tech. You found a really demoralizing way not to, and now you have to try to get people motivated and keep them engaged for the next year, trying to beat them again. Now that you haven't won it in 15 years, 
that's look, I, I get rivalries and you want to win them and you want to make a big deal out of them and that whole thing. It's more an issue to me of look at the history of this rivalry and are you sure this is the one that you really want to hang your hat on? So that kind of in a way seems to have backfired a little bit on Bronco Mendenhall here. Uh, not necessarily the, the rivalry he should have been picking on. And we said it at the time, so it's really interesting. It's now come full circle. This is the year they were supposed to get done and they just couldn't do it. That's correct. Virginia Tech 34, Virginia 31 in overtime. Let's move on. We had another overtime game this week in a conference game, Mike. The NC State Wolfpack 34, North Carolina 28 in overtime. Um, I don't know how much of this game you got to watch. I, I got to watch a, a, some of it, not a ton, but some. Um, UNC, God bless them, 2-8 and eight coming into this game. I mean, they, they hung with NC State throughout a lot of this game, and they had a lead at one point early in the fourth quarter. Um, really, it was midway through the fourth quarter that uh, NC State was able to tie the game, and then uh, ultimately this game ends up in overtime. Uh, UNC misses a field goal in overtime, and then uh, Reggie Gillespie punches a, punches one in to score uh, to win the game. I use the word punches there very intentionally because immediately as he scored, it turned into a full-on brawl in the end zone of both teams. That was a whole uh, a whole ordeal, but. Yeah, NC State gets the win. They move to eight and three, and UNC finishes the year at two and nine. It was fairly forgettable, and uh, they have moved on from their head coach officially here, Mike. R.I.P. Larry. Yeah. R.I.P. Larry. He's not dead, but he got fired. Um, we hardly knew ye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is where I make a CTE reference, right? Oh no. Careful. Oh no. Oh boy. Um. We went there, and we're not regretting it. <laughs> uh, and what you know? What? Why not? Let's let's burn Cade Fortin's redshirt on the way out. What the hell? Let's, let's have him start the game and go nineteen of forty, passing. Two seventy six. Uh, I mean, that's that's efficient with those uh, those nineteen completions. Less than fifty percent of your passes, but you threw for two seventy six. Um, he also had a rushing touchdown. Uh, I, I like him a lot. I like him a yeah. lot. I, I don't know. He's got potential. I he's got potential. I mean, he's not he's not you know Daniel Jones or anything. Oh lord, he's, he's not freshman oh, version of Daniel Jones, is he? Is he? Uh, <laughs> he better uh, hope not. Yeah, yeah. That's that's taking a turn. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyway, yeah. This was really back and forth. Uh, our buddy Will Thompson, who we always have on to preview and recap NC State. Um, their season and everything else uh, from backing the pack. He tweeted at one point, this game is unacceptable and somebody should be fired for it. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know about all that, but NC State came back and won, so it's not the worst thing in the world. It was ugly for a while, though, and Ryan Finley did not look particularly good in this game. 16 of 28, 200 yards and an interception. Uh, like you said, Reggie Gillespie, uh, big day. Big day. Mm-hmm. 129 and he found five tutties found found pay dirt five times. That's that's efficiency. Um, Hard day's work, Mike. Yeah. Basically found the end zone on like a quarter of his carries. And um, Jacoby Myers, nice game, 111 yards receiving. Uh, you know, NC State did what they had to, but this was very ugly. And look, NC State is going to screw around and, you know, they'll probably beat East Carolina and. It'll be a nice little nine-win season for them, and then they'll go to a bowl game that's they probably don't belong in, and they'll lose to a really good team. And like, that's yeah, 
probably how their season's going to end because I'm not really sure how good of a team this actually is, Joey. I was going to say, like, in a lot of ways, and this is going to maybe sound bad, this this game was, like, disappointingly competitive. Like, I would have liked to see NC State have a little more of a controlling win here, and they they just couldn't ever really put the game out of reach, and hence you end up in overtime with a team that's 2-8. and eight. And I get that they're rivals, and that obviously that's meaningful in a lot of ways, you know, and, and you – you have to uh, throw those records out in a rivalry game, Mike. But throw them out. Throw them out. But it's I, I would have liked to see NC State maybe, you know, put a little more of a whooping on on UNC here where they had the chance. Um, but either way, I mean you got the win. That's that's nice. I it just I think for what this NC State team was supposed to be or what we thought they could be, they they haven't really fully achieved that, if that's fair to say. I think it's completely fair to say. Um, I mean you look at NC State, probably expect more out of a potential nine-win team. And you look at UNC, and look, they win two games. They fire Larry Fedora. Um, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but immediately hire Mac Brown, which I have opinions on that that I'll hold to the end of the show. But uh, I, I don't know. Things are getting interesting in Chapel Hill. I, I don't know whether fans are really angry or really excited or somewhere in between, but I think we'll all kind of hold out to see who the coordinators will be. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get to that here in just a second. Yep. Let's move on. NC State 34, North Carolina 28 in overtime. Uh, Mike, Miami 24, number 24, Pittsburgh, three points. Uh, so this is your ACC Coastal champion. They scored three points. Um, this game was ugly in a lot of ways, really. I don't know if you got a chance to watch much of it. I, I was watching it and, and just sort of – living in the uh the ugliness of this game yeah uh okay so every everybody knows this by now joey and i text a good bit and joey <laughs> shoots me a well, we have multiple ways of communicating we text we dm there's a number of levels um joey sends me a little direct message on twitter and says uh Pitt is trying to throw the ball with Kenny Pickett and also run the ball with their two very good running backs, and both are failing miserably. To which well, in, I was, in particular, they were trying to protect Kenny Pickett, and that was a whole disaster. And that, yeah, before he could even throw it, that was a problem. So, uh, agree, by the way. This did not go well for Pittsburgh. Um, you know, we, we tweeted this from our, from our basketball conference Twitter account with Justin Cates putting out and this is your ACC coastal representative Pittsburgh Panthers losing mm -hmm. by three touchdowns the week before the conference championship game uh true go ACC fashion and Joey you and I both know it would be very much like Pitt to lose by three touchdowns to Miami and then come out and give Clemson a game in the ACC championship because that's what Pitt does that mm -hmm. is what Pitt does uh on paper they should be blown out of the stadium and then all of a sudden whoa whoa they're not getting blown out they're actually winning oh they're only down by three or four hold on hold on hold on wait what, what is happening yeah. um clemson 76 pittsburgh three uh no <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be ugly but th this was this was really interesting i don't feel any better really about miami but i feel a lot worse about Pitt because <laughs> i thought Pitt was really finding something and i mean they got sat on a couple of numbers, I think, that kind of explain this game, Mike. First of all, Kenny Pickett finishes the game with nine carries for negative 34 yards um, because he was just getting swallowed up in the backfield constantly. Miami 
finishes this game with six sacks and 14 tackles for a loss on defense. Joe Jackson in particular had two and a half sacks. Uh, I, I mean, Miami was all over Pittsburgh. This is this is kind of where Pittsburgh's at is they don't have a particularly diverse offense. There's not a whole lot of things, you know, a whole lot of ways they can beat you. And if their offensive line can't just dominate you up front, it's going to grind to a halt. Now, on the other hand, Mike, Miami finishes this game with 24 points, which is pretty good. They got help from a punt return touchdown from DJ Dallas. But worth discussing here, Nikosi Perry finishes this game six for 24 for 52 yards. That seems bad. Not good. Not good. No. He's not the um, answer, I don't think. It's kind of not really seeming that way. Yeah. Um, I was wrong. And it uh, seems that Cam was also wrong about that. But on some level, too, like you're starting to wonder if he's not the answer and Malik Rozier wasn't the answer. So what makes us think Jaron Williams is going to be the answer? What makes us think there is an answer, Mike? Like maybe just bad quarterback play is what we're going to get from Miami under Mark Richt. Bad quarterback coaching. That's oh, boy. Probably got something to do with it. Oh, boy. Probably got something to do with it. Uh, yeah, ugly game for Pittsburgh, ugly game for Miami, but they end up winning by three touchdowns. Um, so, I mean, it's a good win for Miami to kind of bounce back and finish at seven and five. And while we're talking about that, I just want to point out, so Miami and Pitt now both finish the season at seven and five, which is where Virginia is also finishing the season as well as Georgia Tech and Duke. Whoops. Five of the seven coastal teams, Mike, finished the season at seven and five because that is ACC as absolute hell. Bad conference. bad conference and a really bad division. Yeah, you might say that. Uh, Virginia Tech, by the way, playing next week against Marshall to finish six and six, hopefully. <laughs> Which isn't isn't too far off of the coastal the coastal lead, right? Or the coastal I mean, champ, Pittsburgh. Yeah, it's really uh, not. It's really not. Uh, yeah, I mean, year. I mean, three weeks ago, Virginia Tech still controlled their own destiny with as bad as they were playing. So that gives you an idea of how bad this conference really was this year, and how bad specifically the coastal division was. Woof. Real Oof. bad. Miami 24, Pittsburgh 3. Let's move on, Mike. Wake Forest 59, Duke 7. Holy crap. What are the... Yeah. First of all, Duke only scored seven points against a Wake Forest defense that hasn't been worth a damn in a while. And then Wake Forest turns around and runs up 59 points on them. Goodness gracious, Mike. I know this will shock you and it'll shock a lot of the people listening, but uh, I'm still not a believer in Duke. <laughs> relevant. Yeah. Uh, seems relevant since they lost by 52 points to Wake Forest. Um, Ugly showing from Duke. Whoops. Congratulations to Wake on ball eligibility, by the way. Yeah. Out of nowhere. In a, in a big way. Yeah. Also, this seems related. Jamie Newman's pretty good. He is. Um, almost suspiciously good to the point that you wonder what have they been doing with Sam Hartman all year? Like, why weren't you just playing Jamie Newman? And I like Sam Hartman. I do. He's fine. And Wake has a way of doing this. Remember they did the John Wolford Kendall Hinton dance for a while. Mm, Yeah, that's a good point. Kendall Hinton basically died this year. He's still on the roster, by the way. Mm -hmm. Um, basically dead. And, uh, I, not actually, everybody, but basically dead. And Jamie Newman is now really good. And I'm interested for spring ball now. That'll be a lot of fun to preview because now Jamie Newman and Sam Hartman, who will probably be healthy by then, 
will now be duking it out for the starting quarterback job throughout the spring, throughout the summer, and well into fall camp next year. So that's something that we didn't necessarily expect. Yeah, this has kind of been a weird end of the year. Wake Forest beats NC State and Duke here in their last three weeks. Uh, Jamie Newman, by the way, in those three games combined, almost 64% completions for 680 yards, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah. What was that kid doing on the bench behind Sam Hartman all year? That's what I want to know. I wish I could tell you, uh, but we've seen some precarious quarterback situations across the country all year long. So uh, we've seen a lot of backup being probably the guy, right? Notre Dame yeah. is the prime example with like Ian Book coming in and basically being one of the five or six best quarterbacks in the country this year mm-hmm. and not even starting the season as number one guy. Um, that's like the A example. And then you get down to like Jamie Newman, Sam Hartman level. It's like, man, some coaches are really screwing up. And these guys are intelligent too. Like Brian Kelly's a good coach. Dave Colossum, damn good coach. Like these guys know what they're doing and they were starting the wrong guy. At least mm-hmm. it seems that way. It's kind of looking that way. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Mike, this just in. We have a new episode of the Dorcher Porch. He Greg was good. real good. Yeah, quite good. 10 catches, 124 yards, and a touchdown. Added 15 yards on the ground and a six-yard punt return. Greg Dorch, real good. And by the way, as a result, Mike, he is a double first-team All-ACC selection here as the all-purpose player on offense, taking over four. Damn, I don't remember the guy's name. He's for NC State. Uh, Jalen Samuels. Jalen Samuels. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. Jalen Samuels, uh, that that all-purpose position basically created for him, and Greg Dorch now takes that from him. First team All-ACC on offense and on special teams as the specialist. Greg Dorch, uh, once again, a brilliant, brilliant football player, and you really should watch him if you ever get the chance. Real this good. This has been another edition of the Dorch Report, Mike. Real good player. Mm-hmm. Duke sucks, by the way. Just want to sneak that one in there before we move on. Uh, they suck. We we did bring this up though in the pre uh, in the preview show. Was I saw some of the angles Duke was taking trying to tackle Pittsburgh a few weeks ago. Sure enough, Greg Dortch just a disaster for them trying to trying to play any defense against. So yeah, uh, good on you, Greg Dortch. Good on you, uh, Mike. Let's move on. Wake Forest fifty nine, Duke seven. We've got a few other games here. We're going to kind of breeze through these a little a little bit more quickly. Uh, we got some ground to cover as well as some awards to give out and a couple of little news tidbits to hit on at the end. Um, first off, number 20, Syracuse 42, Boston College 21. We thought this was a bad matchup for Syracuse. Boston College a whole touchdown favorite at home. Syracuse really took care of business. Eric Dungey really good. This is a really impressive showing for Syracuse, who now finishes the year at 9-3. BC couldn't keep up. They really couldn't. AJ Dillon, 12 carries for 56 yards. Whoa. That was not what I was expecting. Bookmark that under things I didn't see coming. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought he'd be able to run against the Syracuse defense, and uh, not quite. Yeah, not at all. Um, Eric Dungy, Syracuse legend, 21-34 for 362, three touchdowns through the air. He also had 34 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. Uh, He... uh, (laughs) So where we started having some questions about him. I was about to say questions answered. Yeah. Remember, remember that one about four or five weeks ago. That was fun for a minute. Yeah. 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 Um, They really missed him. And uh, he didn't really play a ton in the Notre Dame game because he got knocked out pretty early. And 
like we talked about, it wasn't really going to matter last week with how Notre Dame just kind of suffocated them. But uh, yeah, Eric Dungy uh, was back and better than ever. And the Syracuse offense, much, much, much better against Boston mm-hmm. College. So good win, good way to finish out the year. Yeah, this was a uh, a strong performance from them. And by the way, Mike, Boston College, don't look now. They're seven and five. Oh, uh, surprise. It's all very new and surprising, right? Yeah, seven and five. That's that's BC. We had such hosts for you, Boston College. Syracuse 42, Boston College 21. Let's move on. Number five, Georgia, 45 points. My Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets 21. And Mike, it was not that close. I regret to inform you. Uh, uh, this game was 45 to seven. Thanks. Wanye. God. Yeah, Wanye Thomas had another kickoff return for a touchdown, and that was the only points that Georgia Tech scored in the first three quarters. Good player, though. Um, oh, he's real good. He's real fun to watch. Um, Georgia Tech came out flat in this game. Defensively, I mean, they were a mess from the get-go. Georgia scores touchdowns on all five of their first half drives until they kneeled it down. Um, I mean, it was 38-7 to seven at halftime. This, this thing got out of hand quickly. Not a great showing from Georgia Tech in a rivalry game, and, and not not great. But I think Georgia, probably a little better than I was giving them credit for, but they've also really turned it on here over the last month or so of the season. That that game against Alabama is a lot more intriguing than I, I was kind of expecting it to be a few weeks ago. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Georgia Tech, though, again, 7-5 and five after starting 1-3. and three. They, they had a pretty strong finish to the year, so stuff to be happy about there. Um, for those wondering, I don't – expect any sort of coaching change to come about here. Paul Johnson, I think is safe in his job for now. I don't think the Institute wants to make a change for another year or two. Um, There's a pretty major fundraiser going on right now that I think uh, the fruits of which will make that a much more attractive job to the market whenever they do look to hire a new coach. So um, yeah, nothing, nothing really going to change here for Georgia tech here in the near future, but um, hopefully bright days ahead as the defense keeps getting more solid and, uh, there'll be a, a bowl game here in the next few weeks that they'll be going to, which is the improvement from last year. Uh, they hit the over six and a half, so don't pitch too much. Oh, <laughs> none coming from me, baby. Yep. Bank account is a little cushy now. So thank you, Yellow Jackets. Uh, Georgia 45, Georgia Tech 21. Number two, Clemson, Mike, 56, South Carolina 35. Clemson not able to cover 26 and a half here. Thanks in part to Debo Samuel giving them all sorts of hell in the secondary Yeah, he's real good. Um, Clemson gives up a lot of points here, but scores more points than themselves. And uh, ultimately, this game wasn't really that close, but it never really got out of hand either. By the way, hit the over. Mm -hmm. By a lot. That's a lot. Uh, A lot of points. Uh, South Carolina scored more than I thought they would. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, they had a couple scores in garbage time, whatever. But Clemson, it was one of those games, too, where like Clemson struggled for a good bit of the first half. And then they, they didn't. A, they had a hard time getting separation. They did. And they, they were scoring. I mean, the offense was scoring. It was the issue of pulling away because South Carolina kept coming back and kept producing big plays, which is a recipe to keep it close against good teams. You produce big plays in the passing game. Uh, I really liked what I saw out of Jake Bentley, Joey. I like him a lot. Mm-hmm. I like him a lot, a lot. Um, South Carolina is searching for depth at wide receiver, running back. They need some help at playmaking positions outside of their top two or three guys. Um, once they get some depth there, and, and Muschamp's doing a pretty good job recruiting, once they get some more depth there, they're going to be a player in the SEC East, like a serious player, not like a player 
not like a player that a lot of people thought they would be this year where it was like, oh, South Carolina is going to be good. Please believe us. And mm-hmm. then they kind of like sputtered all year, but you saw that they had potential. I think we're a year or two away from South Carolina being real serious and Florida being back and being good. And the SEC is going to get much more competitive on the eastern side of things uh, in that conference, I think, sooner rather than later. So I was impressed with South Carolina, but Clemson just keeps on rolling, Joey, keeps on rolling. And of course, they're in the ACC championship against a really bad Pittsburgh team. As long as they don't suffer a letdown, they're a shoe in for the playoff. It's a good thing that South Carolina and Tennessee and Florida are getting better because I need literally anybody to give Georgia a hard time literally ever. Um, so hopefully that happens. But, yeah, Clemson keeps rolling. Um, big games from Travis Etienne, 150 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. Adam Choice, seven carries for three touchdowns. Um, T. Higgins, six catches, 142 yards and a score. On the other side of the ball, Mike, Debo Samuel, we mentioned him, three touchdowns, 10 catches for 200, 210 yards to go with it. Jake Bentley overall throws for 510 yards, five touchdowns and a pick. Um, I was a little surprised to see them slinging the ball around as much as they were, but, hey, I mean, that, clearly that's the thing you got to do to hang with Clemson and beat them. So um, it makes sense in, in a way in retrospect. But uh, good win for Clemson. They roll on. They are a win against Pittsburgh away from being in the playoff as the uh, likely number two seed. Um, so hopefully there is no letdown there. Uh, number two, Clemson 56, South Carolina 35. Let's move on, Mike. Number 11, Florida 41, Florida State 14. I was uh, wrong. Yeah. Happy trails, Florida State's bowl streak. It is officially over after like 36 years or something like that. Yep. Um, not – I. I, okay, wherever we're placing blame, we, we can place it. But I will just say that the optics of losing a 36-year bowl streak in year one as Willie Taggart, you know, with Willie Taggart as your head coach, not the best look. Uh, not the best look. I would agree with that. Um, Regardless of who's, yeah. whose fault that really, really is. I agree. And there's too much talent to only win five games at Florida State, especially with a conference as bad as the ACC was this year. It's the same argument I have for Virginia Tech, except on a lesser level because Florida State has more talent. This is really bad look. And you get stomped by Florida, who's in uh, their rebuilding year, by the way, first year with Dan Mullen. And they've been sputtering the last few years and they have not been great. And all of a sudden they blow you out in a rivalry game. And these are two teams that on paper should be pretty competitive against each other. And Florida State wasn't. They couldn't, they could not block the Florida defensive line front seven at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, never had a prayer. Real cute of me to pick this as my upset pick of the week. That was <laughs> that was dumb and I regret it. And uh yeah. whoops. whoops. Uh yeah. Florida rolls all over them. Felipe Franks looked pretty I mean. He, he looked good. Jordan Scarlett. Ah, man. Florida, Florida's decent. Florida State's not good, by the way. Yeah, no, they had a they had a rough year. I just saw something tonight about the where the whereabouts of Florida State's offensive linemen on the pro football focus offensive line rankings. Uh, bad. Cover man. your eyes. Cover your like, eyes. I think it's like upwards of 800 some linemen that they ranked throughout the year. And Florida State, I think, had three that were like outside of the top 800. They have, I think they had the two single worst that were rated, uh, rated it, as well as another one in the in the bottom 50 or 60. I mean, that, you got to get working on that if you're Willie Taggart. Um, by the way, one more thing we need to really talk about here, Mike. 
I am I am officially a victim in this game of a bad beat. Uh, my my pick of the week was this game to go under 52 points, and I'll be damned if Florida doesn't have a 34 to 14 lead, you know, with five minutes left in the game, and next thing you know, Jordan Scarlett with a nine yard touchdown run. Ugh. Ugh. But at least you didn't take LSU money line like I did. Oh dear. So oh, that's okay. I yeah, I'm on your side on that one. There we go. <laughs> I have opinions on that. Yep. Which uh, we'll hold for our SEC podcast. Yeah, that 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 one that we're doing next. Yeah. <laughs> so much salt. That's right. Uh, yeah, that was not that was not good. Anyways, um, Florida forty-one, Florida State fourteen. Last one, Mike. Number fifteen, Kentucky fifty-six, Louisville ten points. Uh, fading Louisville continues to be profitable, and the Cardinals continue to lose. And thank God the whole season's over. They finished the season two and ten. I'll say what I said before. I kind of thought that they were going to be bad. I didn't think that they were going to be this bad, Mike. This is this is a next level of bad and incompetence that is even more than really what I was ever thinking it was going to be. Yep, pretty bad, and we're two nights removed from this game, and I think Benny Snell just scored again. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so as predicted by the two of us, uh, Louisville could not stop Benny Snell, literally one of the only good players on Kentucky's offense. Mm. So... That went poorly for Louisville, and Louisville is setting all sorts of defensive records, and not in a good way. And we'll get into that shortly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, we might as well just get into that right now. Uh, Kentucky six, Louisville ten. Mike, the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award, not only of this week, but perhaps just of the entire year. Was that is that fair to say? I think that's completely fair to say, Joey. And only appropriate that Brian Van Gorder himself is getting this award. Yeah, Brian Van Gorder is getting the You Tried Award here, and I'm going to pull this up on Twitter. I'm, as usual, not nearly as prepared as I should be. Here it is. Found it. Uh, Louisville's 2018 defense finishes as the worst in school history. This is from Mark Blankenberger, um, radio personality there. Uh, down in Louisville. Louisville's 2018 defense finishes as the worst in school history. Most yards allowed ever. Most points allowed ever. 6.88 yards per play is also the worst yards per play average in 100 years of football at the University of Louisville. And Mike, they've had some bad football teams at Louisville. If you want to go back to like the 70s and the 80s. Whew. And they were even worse this year. And the first reply to the tweet. So you think Brian Van Gorder's job is safe? <laughs> no. Answer's no. Um, clearly that guy said that tongue-in-cheek in the reply to Mark. but. Um, yeah, no, job's not safe, by the way. And yeah, we also threw this around with Ethan Moore. Remember when we said that Brian Van Gorder is a step up from Peter Sermon? And we were like, pretty sure. Um, they probably should have just kept Peter Sermon. I mean, we said it couldn't really be any worse. And yet. And yet, um, here we are. I Honestly, Mike, I was going to add this too. Is I, I think I'm probably going to start walking back my theory that they should consider keeping him until next year just for the sake of continuity. Now, the fact that there's not going to be head coach continuity is obviously going to help accelerate that whole process. But even if, even if he were maybe, yeah, you just take your chances in getting someone else. Cause it can't get a whole lot worse than that. Correct. Um, what a disaster. Um, so congratulations, Brian Van Gorder. You tried to put together a functional passable defense and instead you set school records in the worst ways possible. Congrats. Bad. Uh, Dumpster Fire of the Week, Mike. 
Can we talk about Duke yep. giving up 59 points and losing by 50 to Wake Forest? Like, it's one thing to lose this game, and I get it. Like, Wake has been kind of uh, kind of dangerous at times this year, and, you know, they knocked off NC State on the road a couple weeks ago. Wake is not beat anybody by 50 points good. They didn't beat Tulane or Towson by 50 points earlier this year. Yeah, and I don't have a ton to add to this in addition to what I already said when we were recapping the game itself, but I will say this. Duke's bad. I told you so. Mm-hmm. Duke has really like fallen apart here over the last month or so of the season. They looked like they were honestly one of the more decent teams in the conference, I guess. I mean, they started the season five and one. They had win, you know, they won all four of their non-conference games. Army at Northwestern, that's your Big Ten West champion, at Baylor, NC Central. They lose to Virginia Tech. They win at Georgia Tech. And at that point, they're five and one, Mike. And since then, loss to Virginia, loss at Pittsburgh, win at Miami, win against North Carolina, loss at Clemson, loss against Wake. I think this might have honestly, if I if I'm really trying to diagnose this, I think this might have been a uh a bit of a they got flattened by Clemson kind of scenario and it might have beat them a second week in a row. Yeah. This don't lose don't lose twice to an opponent to the same opponent, right? Like don't lose to the same opponent twice two consecutive weeks. But no, also don't, don't lose feel. to wake by fifty damn points. Um, like, but don't lose but don't lose to wake by fifty plus. Um not a good look to lose by eight touchdowns. No. No, it is not. Um so Dumpster Fire of the Week, that goes to you, Duke. And Mike, last one, the Go ACC moment of the week. Damn, I was beside myself laughing at what was going on here. This is the ending sequence of the first half in the Virginia-Virginia Tech game. That's my quarterback, Ryan Willis. Oh, it sure is. Okay, so Virginia Tech kind of trying to bleed the clock out. Virginia seems like they're going to let them. And then with like nine seconds left in the half – Virginia calls a timeout, and they're going to make Virginia Tech punt. So some weird clock management there. So then Virginia Tech does punt. Virginia muffs the punt. Virginia Tech falls on it and is like kind of on the on the edge of field goal range. So good on you, Virginia, for screwing that whole thing up. Well, then Virginia Tech runs a play, throws a terrible interception. Uh, it's, it's basically thrown into the flats and Virginia is taken off down the sideline. Like they're going to score a touchdown in the most unfathomable way. Ryan Willis, the quarterback who threw this interception turns around and bowls over the, the official standing behind him. Who's kind of in the way and then proceeds to run down and tackle the intercepting ball carrier at like sunshine, the style. sunshine style. Like you mentioned in the, uh, before we hit record. Yeah, he literally, like, the way that Sunshine is blocking guys in the winning play on Remember the Titans, he ran through the official and just kept going, like, didn't even stumble or anything. I mean, this was – so, again, you had weird clock management calling timeout, force a punt, muff the punt, lose it, and then throwing an interception, and that whole play in and of its own was a whole mess – Go ACC to that. That was just a little uh, a little taste of how bizarre and bonkers this whole game was. Uh, go ACC. I call that putting out your own fire. <laughs> but wait, whose fire was – did – I don't know whose fire – both teams were on fire and put each other out? I don't know. Like, Okay. Uh, I mean, 
everybody's on fire, right? <laughs> you know what? Let's go back and give our let, let's go back and give our dumpster fire the week back out. Uh, <laughs> I was tempted. Both teams are on fire. Uh, it you was tried bad. to go to Virginia there. I was, I'm tempted. Hey, you tried to break a bowl streak. You tried to break a losing streak against your rival. Oof. Whoops. Virginia. Man, they messed that up. Okay. Uh, go ACC to that. Mike, we got two more things we need to talk about. One of them we've already talked about. Uh, to some degree, but we'll kind of hit on it a little more here. So as we mentioned, uh, NC State wins 34 to uh, 28 over North Carolina. North Carolina finishes 2-9, and nine, and as a result, Larry Fedora was relieved of his duties Sunday morning uh, by Athletic Director Bubba Cunningham. Bubba. Yeah. This is the part, Mike, where we talk about the coaching search and all the candidates that UNC could hire and how Scott Satterfield is just right over there and Boone, like, whipping it up at, uh, at, at Appalachian State, and he is a great candidate. And, Mike, they hired Mike Mac Brown. They hired Mac Brown, like, as soon as possible. Like, it was, like, 24 hours. Yeah, and uh, Bill Connolly from SB Nation tweets out that, you know, they rushed to hire Mac Brown. Like, Mac Brown is the hottest coaching candidate on the market. It was like like they're gonna miss out on him, yeah. Like they're gonna miss out, um, even though he's been out of the game like ten years, right? Plus, maybe I don't know, mm-hmm. I don't know how many years it is exactly, but he's been out of the game a while. And he's been on TV for five years now. Yeah, so he's been on TV for five, and he was chilling a little bit. Um, I mean, the last few years of Texas are really rough. You can not even really count those as coaching years because they were so bad. Um, yeah, so he's been out of the game a little bit, and. Uh, Things were not good at Texas before he left and really makes you wonder, Joey, like, okay, great. Mac Brown, return to the glory days. Uh, They better make the right coordinator hires. That's all (laughs) I'll say about this, because this has we've seen what's been happening with the Oakland Raiders in the NFL with John Gruden. This has nostalgia gone wrong written all over it unless Mac Brown hires the right coordinators. Now, with that being said, you do have uh, some reports out of a TV station in Texas. Take that as you will, saying that Mac Brown wants to hire Gene Chizik as UNC's defensive coordinator. Uh, Chizik is a former Mac Brown assistant, so that makes some shred of sense. But Gene Chizik also, uh, not so long ago, was the North Carolina defensive coordinator already. They're saying that, oh, okay, maybe Mac Brown's interested in bringing Gene Chizik back as the defensive coordinator and then hiring Cliff Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator. And the first reply to the tweet was, yeah, I heard that John Madden wants to go coach the Bills and he wants to bring Mike Ditka and Bill Parcells with him, which yeah. cracked me up. It ha- It's, you know, you got to have, you got to make the right hires at coordinator. Um, you know, you brought up a great point, Joey, about Herm Edwards. And a lot of people were making fun of that hire at Arizona State. Then all of a sudden, Herm Edwards hires a bunch of really good coordinators and a lot of good recruiters. And now look at Arizona State. They're bowl eligible. So maybe we see North Carolina going that route. Maybe that's enough. But I, they they got to choose the right guys on the staff. That's all I'll say. It just feels like this is going to be easy to mess up. I, Yeah, I don't get this, Mike. This does feel a little bit like a, oh, hey, they can do it. So can we. And it's. I mean, I don't know. This is this is a – I don't know what you're doing, North Carolina. This seemed like it was just like a slam dunk kind of thing. Go get Scott Satterfield, who's done really well at Appalachian State, um, who's clearly ready for a, uh, a bigger job, a bigger gig. 
And instead they go get a guy who's been on TV for five years and who Bill Conley points out, if you really listen to some of the analysis that Mac Brown has been giving, it kind of explains why he's been on TV and not in coaching. Yep. Uh, it's, it's not a lot of like new age football level analysis stuff that would make you feel good. Like he really, really is going to be able to put together a competent program. So, I mean, we'll see, but this feels like a weird hire. There was a couple of points made too on Twitter. Uh, Kelly Quinlan in particular, the Georgia tech rivals site owner, he makes the point that throwing the name around Mac Brown was maybe the only way that UNC could have gotten the booster money necessary to fire Larry Fedora. So maybe that's part of this to some degree, but I don't, I do not understand this, this move at all. Um, feels like there's a decent chance that this is going to blow up in their faces. Um, I don't know. The idea that they're going to bring in Mac Brown, he's going to bring OC Cliff Kingsbury and DC Gene Chizik in town, in town is like absurd to me. Like really Gene Chizik, who also hasn't coached the last two years and seems perfectly content running like a chicken tender shop somewhere and Cliff Kingsbury, who's going to be wanted as OC by literally everybody and every team, both college and pro, that needs yep. an offensive coordinator. Yep. And you're going to tell me that UNC is going to be the one that's the most attractive to him? Okay. Yeah, yeah I think Chizik, the, the Chizik as the defensive coordinator, has a much better chance of happening than Kingsbury as the offensive coordinator. Kingsbury is mm -hmm. going to have all the options that he wants because he is a good coach. He probably wasn't ready for a Texas Tech job when he got it, and mm -hmm. I think that kind of manifests itself over the years. Um, I think it was six years he was there. Uh, but I think Cliff Kingsbury will go and be an offensive coordinator somewhere. He'll be really successful. He'll get another head coaching shot. I think you know he's too young not to. Um, his offense is too good. He could get it right the second time with a little bit more seasoning. Uh, he's going to have literally whatever job he wants. And and like you mentioned, like. UNC going out and getting Chiswick and getting Kingsbury and paying Mac Brown and shelling out all this money to assistance after being in the process of paying a $14 million buyout to Larry Fedora, that doesn't add up to me. All mm -hmm. of a sudden, you're going to be spending a boatload on assistance after paying a huge buyout or dirt. I mean, this is going to extend for a while because they're paying a few, a couple million a year to Larry Fedora. This is going to extend for a while. Larry Fedora is not getting it all up front. So you're going to continue to pay this. And while that's happening, you're going to pay all your coordinators a lot of money in the, in this scenario. Don't see it happening. Um, I don't think either Chiswick or Kingsbury, truthfully, ends up at North Carolina. But I think if you had to put your money on one guy, put it on, put it on Gene Chiswick. Don't put it on Cliff Kingsbury. I think he's got much greener pastures in North Carolina if he wants to be a coordinator. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those things where if – I think if Gene Chizik is going to get back into coaching, it's probably in this gig. Right. Um, if Cliff Kingsbury wants to go coach somewhere else, it, it will probably be elsewhere. Let's just put it that way. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I agree with that. Uh, Mike, one more coaching search we got to give an update on. Uh, Louisville also has a head coaching vacancy. We have no update. No update. It which has is been interesting. Yeah, it's been like awkwardly quiet for a job that's been open for a few weeks now and there was a pretty obvious number one candidate and Jeff Brom and you're just not hearing anything out of this. And I'm, I'm really, to me, the idea that it's, it's, you know, this Monday and regular seasons are over and all that. The fact that we haven't heard anything tells me that I'm not so sure this is going to be Jeff Brom at this point. Um, it feels like if that was going to be the case, we would have been hearing something 
or at least some sort of rumblings and rumors about, oh, they got a deal in place, and oh, there's a press conference being called, and oh, there's a flight tracker going on, and blah, 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 and there's been none of it, Mike. Nothing, and maybe this is just me being naive, but what's also interesting is that Jeff Brom comes out after Purdue's loss this weekend and says, uh, Purdue's where I want to be, which coaches say that, right, and you don't always take it at face value. He seemed genuine when he said it, like real genuine, like he actually wanted to be there. Not Tom Herman on the field being like, oh, you know, I'm I'm the Houston coach when he basically already signed to Texas. This feels different. And there hasn't really been any news at all, which look, Purdue season's over. Louisville season's over. Season is over. So what's the holdup? Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's all I'll say about that. I don't know if it's going to be Jeff Brom. If it's not Jeff Brom, who are Louisville's other choices? Like, do they even have a short list outside of Brom or was it Brom or bust? That that's what I'm curious about moving forward. If it's not Jeff Brom, if he ends up re-upping at Purdue, you know, they move heaven and earth to keep him. That would be great for college football. I'd actually prefer Jeff Brom to, to stay at Purdue. I think it's good for the big 10. It keeps things really interesting there. But as far as Louisville's concerned, like, who else is there that they're going after? And what does the shortlist look like if there is one at this point? That's going to be really interesting to watch. But having no update at this time is is a shock because you and I were pretty convinced that Jeff Brom was going to be the guy and it was going to happen sooner rather than later. And now all of a sudden it doesn't look like it's going to happen at all. Yeah. I One thing to keep in mind here, Mike, is that Louisville's athletic director, Vince Tyra, um, he, he was recently hired to replace Tom Jurich Vince Tyra doesn't really come from like an athletic administration kind of background. Um, it's more of a standard, just like businessman kind of kind of background. Um, and so I, I don't know necessarily what his strategy is here. I think there's been some chatter that he stated he wasn't going to talk to anybody while the regular season was still going on and all this stuff. And I, I get that, but at the same time, that doesn't stop other athletic directors from talking to the people that, you know, work for uh, some of your candidates or something like that, you know, where you're kind of back channeling this. Um, So that's an option, but we're not really seeing or hearing a lot of fruits of that. So I'm curious to see kind of where he goes on this coaching hire. I mean, he he made a great basketball coaching hire coming and getting Chris Mack out of, of Xavier, something that a lot of people hadn't been able to do for a lot of years. So that gives me some some uh, you know some positivity, and I, I guess I feel good about that. But um, I, I am curious to see how well he's able to land a a good candidate here, whether it is Jeff Brom or if he's going to start looking at a uh, Neil Brown down at uh, down at Troy. One of the interesting things to know about him is that he played and coached at Kentucky. So you know, up to them on whether or not they want to bring in somebody from the rival side. It's been done before. That's fine. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see where they go with this. I really would have thought there would have been something more that we would know by now, but uh, that is not the case, Mike. Not the case. We'll see what happens. Um, you know, maybe by the time we do another one of these preview slash recap shows, we'll have something, but it doesn't seem like we'll have anything by the re- by the uh, preview that we're going to record here tomorrow night. So we'll see what happens. Really does not seem that way. So we'll keep you updated as we do find out more. But um, for now, yeah, we don't really have a lot of an update. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good. Yeah, this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty uh, elaborate, sufficient 
thorough recap of a uh, an eventful rivalry week. And yet efficient. Yes, I like that. Efficient. Um, all right, Mike, we're going to get out of here. We're going to come back and recap or uh, preview our conference championship as well as there's a couple of other games going on next weekend that we got to talk about. So um, we're going to do that. But in the meantime, you guys can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike McDaniel CFB. And together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Y'all can send us an email with your questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Yeah. And thank you to those who have. Um, Mike, they can find us on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, the Overcast app, wherever fine podcasts are sold for free. And Mike, you want to tell them where they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook, facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Joey. Yes, please do. Please do. Um, yeah, Mike, they can also find us on YouTube if they so choose. Uh, we post these videos there if you want to come check out um, my, you know, my shirt and all this good stuff. I, um, I'm wearing the shirt of a team that just perpetually disappoints me. Go Falcons. Um, it was a happy Thanksgiving in my house. Let's just say that. I totally forgot that I'm doing a podcast with Stephen Godfrey. Yep. Yep. It is. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of things in common, me and Godfrey, yep. such as being really tall. I'm not really tall. Um, Mike, let's come back in uh, preview championship weekend. Let's do that. Oh, and the Hokies. And the Hokies. They got a game. Amazingly. Amazingly. Yep. Um, sorry, Virginia. Mike, uh, we'll talk soon. Let's do it, man. All right. Well, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I'm Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.